0: I regret that this place wasn't full to hear everything that's been said and done thus far. It's been truly wonderful. you would be very pleased I ain't going to speak too long. The is waiting. I'm going to be fitting just to round things off a little. Um, obviously I'm speaking to the converted this morning. This place was filled yesterday with uh, with people. Yesterday morning we had people from all kinds of walks of life enjoying a family fun day. In the afternoon we had people of my age, some younger, some a little bit older, enjoying afternoon tea that would put the Midland Hotel to shame. It was a busy day and I want to give personally a great deal of thanks to those that They've been involved with it. Friday evening, of course, was sumo night and other things happening with the youth. And from what I've heard, it was a great night. And all that's good. But I believe the Lord would want to encourage us this morning to understand about this resurrection life that we now enjoy and live. To understand that it should be a greater motivation. Not just to get people in for a family fund day. But a time is dawning when we need to be more upfront with our faith, if you want. Let's be bold in the message that we carry. I love that song, and I'm sorry if we got carried away a bit about what we believe. But it's coming back again. Now what's he going to find on earth? Will there be faith? Will there be unbelief? mixture of both, I guess. But the task, the commission today, is ours. To say to people, he's coming back again. He's coming back. He wants more people to come to know him. that's That's the grace of God that we heard about this morning. To get to know him in a very personal and a very deep way. For he's giving us new life. And that for many, life can begin again. It began for me 30 odd years ago. 25 years ago. I remember it well. Life can begin again. I guess what's been on my heart for this morning is, well, I'll read the scripture first. We'll come to that. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 16, reading from the NIV. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The question that rose in my heart when I was reading this over afresh fresh on a number of the resurrection passages is which side of the stone are you? Which side of the stone are you? Because the answer to that question will determine whether life begins again. Let me explain a little bit. Sabbath, Shabbat, had passed. We've been amazing to be in that tomb, it, through the dark hours of early Sunday morning. Wow. That pod in which Jesus was encased in. suddenly kind of like just, it's just nothing. It's just flat without form. And the place where his head was is now just space. Because there's a body that's alive there. For a while. For a while. Dawn is breaking. A new day is being heralded by the sunlight. As the old preacher said on Good Friday, it's Friday. But Sundays are coming. Well, Sunday had arrived. And it was going to be a Sunday like no other Sunday for many, many people. It was going to be an amazing day. An incredible day. But you know, every Sunday could be like that. If we come in the understanding of new life in Christ, in that resurrection glory, if we come in the resurrection power of Christ, into our gatherings, hallelujah, life begins again. You've had life the previous week, life begins again today. Whatever you've gone through, life begins again today. And life keeps beginning and beginning and beginning. It's because there's no end with Him, you see. There's no end with Him. And when people come here and they don't know Jesus, life can truly begin for them. This was going to be an extraordinary day. Friday had passed. Two criminals, alongside with Jesus, were crucified on Golgotha, the place of the skull. Two deserved their fate, one didn't. He was found, he was proved, he said, he was guilty of wrongdoing. But all those were false conceptions conceived in the minds of men. It healed. He talked like no other. He'd brought miraculous messianic signs into the times in which he lived. He was very popular. And he was the one in truth they'd been looking for but the concept and the understanding they had of Jesus showed they didn't understand the Scriptures. He'd been different, there's no doubt about that. And when the rubber hit the road, something had to be done about this man, him that claimed to be the Son of Man, the Son of God. How could he say such things? Blasphemous. Blasphemous. And yet we have a conflict, said the Pharisee, because we see these miraculous signs being done. And no one teaches like him. But look how the crowd want to follow him. And as for calling us hypocrites. We can't really have that. You see, there's an institution to protect. There's a religiosity that needs to be established still. There's a framework for our life that must be adhered to. So false accusations, blood money, a crowd stirred up demanding he be crucified and a Roman governor wanting a quiet life and to look good with Rome acquiesce to their demands. Of course, if it would understood Truly what the Savior would bring. Forgiveness, mercy, love, grace. Standing in their place for all their wrongdoings and their sin. He stood like a lamb, being prepared for slaughter. And one of the titles of Jesus is the Lamb of God. For the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There is a sacrifice, but Jesus came in order to end all sacrifices. Hope, peace, and joy would be found in this lamb. And the promise of eternal life would come as a right. And to be called a son of God, a children of God, will become a right if we believe in him. There's no other lamb could do this. In John 1, 11 and 12, we read these verses, these words. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, he gave them the right, he gave them the right to become children of God, because that is what you are. You are children of the living God. eternal life for sure because of the resurrection of the Christ that we've heard and read about this morning death had been conquered this is why we celebrate resurrection sunday but it's why i celebrate the resurrection every single day in my life for the hope that's established in my heart the confidence that i have in him that the final enemy death has been defeated There's nothing like a decision, there's nothing like a word that comes to you that says, you know, you're in danger of your life ending to get you to understand what eternity is all about. When a doctor gives you kind of a death sentence, you kind of realize that this is pretty, you know, serious stuff. But in him there's hope. In him there's every possibility of healing. But beyond that there's a new body waiting. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. They prayed for me this morning. I was praying with the grandchildren this week. One of them and I put me back out. Couldn't walk around like this for a few days ago. Well, I'm fine this morning now. It's great. Whether it comes later it doesn't matter but the grace of God has got me right now where I'm okay. Live in the resurrection power of Jesus. Live in the resurrection hope that he gives and brings. And if we can do that, you'll find many of the problems that assail you in life fly by. Because you get past Friday and Sunday's coming. You get past Friday and Sunday's coming. The people may ask you Hi, Katie. <laughs> you look very quaint. In interview, people do this, try not, not, not to be seen, and become the most obvious people around. You might ask, why the resurrection? How can we believe in the resurrection? First of all, because Jesus spoke about it. He mentioned it on more than one occasion. In fact, one lady said, I am the resurrection and the life. He spoke to his disciples. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The religious leaders were so concerned about this kind of nonsense going around That they went to Pilate and asked asked him and the Romans to seal the tomb. And so that Roman seal went on the tomb. And it was a big, heavy stone, it went into a groove, it was monstrous. These ladies couldn't have moved it. So it's a good question who's going to roll the stone away. And not only that, there were guards outside. And so, the religious leaders conspired to say that his body had been stolen. And that rumor was going around in the first and second century. Justin and others would recount these things that the Jews were saying. Now, if we use a process of logic which is sometimes defunct in spiritual people. We need to think this through. We are informed that the disciples were in fear of the Jews after the resurrection, during that time. They were hiding. Why, therefore, wasn't any of the disciples arrested for body snatching? Why were none of them arrested for stealing the body? Why weren't they beaten to a pulp until they got a confession? uh, What have they just done with Jesus? Why couldn't they just beat them up and get a confession to say that his body had been stolen by them? They never did that. But what it did do, it proved the tomb was empty. Hello? Yes. By saying the body had been stolen, they are given a recognition to the fact and being cognizant of the fact that the tomb was empty. The only times the disciples were arrested was for healing sick people and preaching on the resurrection. No body was ever produced, as you know. But an empty tomb was. The third thing, I mean, there are lots of thing pointers it's about the reliability and the validity of the resurrection. Oh yeah, I just want to say this as well. I was involved in mental health, as you know, and one of the things that often comes across from anti-God people is, well, it must have been hallucinations that people are having. Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about Jesus appeared to the 12, and then he appeared to 500 people. So if you were to say to a psychiatrist, you know, 500 people had hallucinations, All on the same one. It is thus ridiculous, because hallucination is a very personal, individual thing. And then he would have probably gone on, as a man found out when he mentioned this to a psychologist. He said, actually, to believe that 500 people would have the same hallucination at the same time would be a greater miracle than the resurrection. It's true. Now, I know that some of you have got a history degree, my beloved Ella, Mr. Strong of course, being one of them, and so I only gain this through a little bit of research. I'm not uh, knowledgeable on this subject, but I understand part of looking at the validity or looking for proof of testimony in something is what's called the embarrassment factor. The embarrassment factor. This means, for example, in these days of Palestine, women were down there. According to the Talmud and the Torah, women were accorded no credibility where evidence or testimony was called for. They didn't, as someone said, celebrate Women's Day in Palestine at those times. The Gospel says the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. Their testimony. I mean, in a very kind of macho kind of culture, a very male-dominated culture, where women came after children, basically, in in the pecking order, I guess. How embarrassing is this that the women are providing evidence of the resurrection? I mean, surely we could get some good guys to valid, valid, validate the story. I mean, why have some women in that? That's embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, for us guys to say that some women have got there first, I mean, it's a bit nuts. The Bible records things as it is. And so if I was wanting to make up a story that was going to produce this amazing message and a new movement that would shake the world, as a Palestinian man, I would not have chosen a woman. I would have got Peter or James or John. You know, somebody reliable like that. Trouble is they were too busy carrying in fear. You know, they shut the door. But the women went to the tomb. It was the women that recorded the first testimony of the resurrection. That's embarrassing for a guy. But for me it proves more of the validity of the gospel account. There are lots of other things we could look at, but we haven't got time today. But I just want to bring things to a close by just asking this question. Not about who rolled the stone away. But which side of the stone are you and I? Which side of the stone the people who don't know Christ this morning, if they're here? Those that all came yesterday. One account says the women were looking at it from a distance. Do we have people, maybe you Google or the youth or whatever, they're looking from a distance at who we are. Looking at the tomb. And do they see, still see that the stone is still over the tomb? Closed by Western rationalism. Intellectualism, humanism, or many of the kinds of religions. People want to keep Jesus in the tomb. They want to keep him dead. You can't have him alive. There's a terrible message that goes out: he's alive. And sure ways don't lead to Christ. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So are we dealing with people that, they're religious people that find Jesus' claims offensive. That he alone is the way, the truth, and life. Yes, we have people like that. These women were caring. They were concerned to do good, as the women were. Yet, they lacked belief. They had determination. At least they went to the tomb. But they raised the question, who will roll the stone away? Well, if they believed fully in what Jesus had said, or maybe in their grief they'd forgotten, why bother going to the tomb when you know he's going to be raised on the third day? That question didn't be asked. Who's going to roll the stone away? Of course, when he got there, when they got there, the stone had been rolled away, the guards had fled, the seal was broken. But then you may not believe in supernatural interventions. Everything has a rational reason for it. I believe in angelic manifestations because I believe this word. And have actually experienced an angelic manifestation. Angels are true. Are we dealing with people without hope, lack peace, or no real real joy in their lives? Do they wonder, I wonder uh, the question, is there more to life than this? Or have their hearts become hardened or in pain because life has dealt them a pretty bad blow? You know, this side of the stone, and if the stone's not being rolled away, that's how life is. The stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out. It was a rolled away to let people look in. The angel said, him that was crucified, past tense, and is now present, risen. Look, inside. The bench, kind of tomb that Jesus was laid on, there's only clothes. There's only clothes. But if that stone is seen as still being over the tomb, then there's no hope. There's no joy, there's no confidence in the future really. Death is final. But when you look inside the tomb and you find it empty, that's where there's hope is. It's often said, we've sung it this morning, death has been defeated. Pilate found no charge in him. The tomb couldn't contain him. And Satan couldn't conquer him. He's alive. And he's living in me. I love that song. He's alive. And he's living in me. I just want to close with a, an encouragement to you from my old friend Charles Hudden Spurgeon. And he said this regarding the women being invited to look into the tomb. He says, One eyewitness is better than 20 ear witnesses. Men will believe what you have seen if they don't believe what you've heard. They believe what you've seen but not necessarily what you've heard. doesn't it fall upon all of us to let people see the resurrected life in us? Doesn't it be holding to, isn't it beholding to us that there's something of the joy, hope, and peace that the resurrection, that the empty tomb has done for us? is no it a requirement that we're able to say to people the hope that's set before us? And so as we go out to this place today, or as we sat up, as we sit having the Samyak. Let's be mindful. It's not all about Pastor. <laughs> but it's about the great shepherd. What? <coughs> Pardon? One minute. <laughs> they can do a countdown. Because you know a preacher's minute. At the table there should be bread and wine. Jesus did that with disciples over a meal. So for those of us who are staying for a meal, at some point during the meal, just pray bread and wine together. And just enjoy today. And just remember which side of the stone you're at. The one that's been removed. And the tomb is empty. The resurrection has happened, and now it's His message becoming our message to give other people a message. Amen? Amen?